Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. Before I jump into the message today, is it okay if I take a few minutes and encourage you with something? I believe that each and every one of you has the potential to grow into a leader in the kingdom of God. Caleb agrees. Intensely. I really believe every single one of you has the potential to grow into a leader. To be someone who can truly, through your life, through your service, you can lead others. To be a big blessing to many people. I believe all of you and each of you has the potential for that. I believe some of you are called to become missionaries. All right. I believe some of you will form future church planting teams because Encounter Church is going to multiply. I believe every single one of you is called to lead other people to Jesus. And I know for a fact, because Jesus said it, that all of us are called to make more disciples of him. Yes? All of us, each of us are different, but all of us can somehow lead in the kingdom of God in some way. We lead through serving others. That's what Jesus taught, right? Leadership in the kingdom of God is through serving. And that is what ELS, that's what Encounter Leadership School um, is all about. I, I have a question. Do you think that it might be slightly important that before you grow into leadership, you first get a solid foundation in the Bible? Because I don't know about y'all, but I'm tired of, 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 of silly nonsense going on by Christian leaders. You look and you go, they did what? They said what? A lot of times people become leaders without a really good foundation in the Bible and they end up doing really off the wall things. And I want Encounter Church. I want the leaders that rise up and multiply in this place and out of this place. I want each and every one of you to have a very solid rock foundation in the Bible, in the truth. That's why we're doing ELS fall semester. We're going to do ELS 101, okay? So th this, this semester, we're going to be doing ELS 101. ELS right now, which may grow into more, exists of two classes, two courses. The first one is our biblical foundation, all right? Just a question. Who's already done the purple book? Who's never done the purple book? Okay, about half, okay? The purple book, or 101, is all about our foundation, our biblical foundation. After the foundation, we can build, right? The problem is sometimes people build leadership without a first having a foundation. And then it very easily crumbles. I don't want leaders that crumble. I want leaders that are strong. Because I know that's what Jesus calls us to. So after this, we're going to offer 
201, which is all about growing as a leader into a leader in the kingdom. But first, we got to get the foundation set strong. Amen? All right. So if you have never gone through ELS 101, if you've never done the Purple Book, I want to encourage you to sign up today. That QR code right there, you can scan it. I hope to see some phones raising up and scanning it. Even if you're considering it, I want you to scan it. I want you to sign up. If you're like, I don't know how to sign up through a QR code, then just come talk to us um, after service today at the Orange Table at the meet and greet. We'll help you get signed up for ELS. I want to remind you also that ELS is completely online. It's a class through Zoom. You don't have to come here. You don't have to go anywhere, okay? You can take this course in the comfort of your home, in your PJs if you want, okay? But ELS 101 is going to be completely through Zoom. It's just going to be a 12-week commitment. It's just 45 minutes, one time a week for 12 weeks, okay? Sign up. We only have one more week for you to sign up. Next Sunday is the last day to sign up. Turn to your neighbor and poke them and say, sign up. Okay? <laughs> Come on, turn to somebody else and say, just do it. Listen, there's, you will not have, getting a biblical foundation, there's no way you could have any regrets. Just do it. You're like, I don't even know if I want to be a leader. Well, let me tell you this. You do want a Bible foundation. Okay? I don't want, I'm scared of the, the word leadership. I don't know about leadership. Okay, forget that. We'll talk about that later. First, Get yourself a good foundation in the Bible so that you won't get knocked down and overcome by the devil and by the world, okay? Come on, turn to somebody one more time and say, just do it. All right. Yes? All right. I got any men out there today? Did anybody, specifically men, like steak? All right. Well, this, I, I heard that there were over 40 ladies here Friday night for Encounter Women. And that you guys, that you girls, had a great time in the presence of the Lord, a great time together. Well, men, this Friday it's our turn. Come on, say Encounter Men. And because I really want you to invite a friend this time, we're going to grill steaks. Is that okay? All right. So it starts at 6.30. Downstairs, okay, down out in the back in our little gathering area down there, we're going to have steak and potatoes, okay? And um, I want you to come accompanied, all right? Bring somebody with you. Bring another man. Invite a friend to come with you Friday at 6.30. We will see you here. We're going to have not only steak, but we're also going to kind of have a very important, short, but very important word and talk about our game plan for this semester for Encounter Men, all right? So I want to see all the men here this Friday night. Yes? Come on, say steak. All right. Speaking of steak, speaking of meat, (laughs) who's ready for the word? You ready for the word today? Well, I get to preach again, so I am too. (laughs) Y'all, it's still 2023, so we're still in Christology. Come on, somebody tell me what Revelation 1.8 says. Let's say it all together. I am. Yo soy el alfa. 
And because Jesus is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, we are, all year as we read through the Bible, we are... Estamos... Because he's the reason why, right? He's theology. He is the whole purpose of the Bible is to find, to discover, and to know Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to discover him some more as we continue. And actually, today, we're going to close our little mini-series on the three T's. Has anybody learned anything through the three T's? Well, as we get started with this final message about the three T's, I have a question for you. What is the hardest food for you to resist? (laughs) I mean, even if you know, even if you know that it really isn't that good for you. Even if, listen, even if you're not even that hungry right now, if it's put in front of you, it's hard to resist it. Fries, Oreos, chocolate, waffles. For ruffles, for me, it don't matter if I'm hungry or not. You put an ice cream cone in front of my face, it's going to get eat, all right? I'm going to eat it up, all right? So I bet you can guess where we're going today. We're going to talk about temptation, right? But first, a real quick, real quick review, okay? God made us in his, we are his image Bearers, his image bearers. That's what it means to be human. You're made in the image of God. And as a human, as an image bearer, God gave us his authority, right? But through sin, we gave our authority away to the devil. And Jesus came to recover and restore our God-given authority. And we learned that this is really what Jesus' temptation in the wilderness is all about. It's all about Jesus As a human, God in the flesh, coming to restore the authority that we had given away, right? And from Matthew 4, we read about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. We learn that he did what to the test? He passed it. What did he do to that trial? He endured it. And what did he do to the temptation? He overcame. Why? All because he was... Ready. And how was he ready? Because of his, his private, secret, anonymous, hidden relationship with God. Jesus was ready to overcome in public because what had he been doing in private? He had been relating to God the Father and the Word, right? So it's so important, our private, secret, personal relationship with God. We know that the first Adam failed, but Jesus, the second Adam, passed, right? He overcame. He didn't give his authority away, and so we can have our authority restored through him. All right, we learned that a test is to show what you what you know. And what you don't know, and and what happens with a test? You either pass it or not, right? You either pass it or you learn what you still need to learn. With a trial, which is a long-term season of testing, right, it's to show us what we can endure. Very good. Now, there's so much more in the Bible about tests than what we could cover in one message. 
There's so, 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 so much more about trials. Way too much that we could cover in a message or even in a, a month series, right? So I want to encourage you, as you read through the Bible, dig into this more. You'll see more about testing, more about trials, and more about temptations. What I'm going to give you today uh, about temptations is way, way, way too much to cover in one message. So I'm going to give you just a few little nuggets. Come on, say nuggets. All right. Ready for some temptation nuggets? That sounds terrible, but... (laughs) Well, speaking of nuggets, a temptation, if a test shows us what we know and a trial shows us what we can endure, a temptation shows us what we crave. Very good. Temptations are all about our appetites. Our appetites and the decisions we make about those appetites, right? I know that it's hard for me to resist ice cream, but I also know that I can. Ain't nobody forcing me to eat the ice cream. I choose it, right? It's all about my appetites. Temptations are all about appetites, but really more about what we're going to decide about the things that we crave. What we decide about our appetites. The overarching question is this. Will I seek satisfaction in God or in my flesh? That really is the question when it comes to temptation. That really is the choice in front of us with every temptation. Will I indulge in that craving that pleases my flesh or will I find my satisfaction in God and in pleasing Him? Look at me. Can't have both. Perfectly applied to temptation. Tell your neighbor, come on, tell him, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Right? You can't have both. A lot of people want both. A lot of people want a great relationship with God and, whoo, right? To please God, but also to do whatever our flesh craves but you can't it's one or the other temptation is all about where I will find my satisfaction now if the goal of a test is to pass it and the goal of a trial is to endure it what is the goal of a temptation to overcome it very good now we know that Jesus Christ totally overcame temptation by doing what by properly using one thing the word of God Jesus overcame temptation completely by properly using the word of God we in the same way conquer the flesh with the word not with more flesh come on let me say that again I've done it. I know I'm not the only one that tries to overcome temptation in my own strength. You ever been faced with a temptation and rather than using the word of God, you just try to like conjure up enough strength to overcome? Conjuring is bad. And doesn't work. We (laughs) can't overcome flesh with more flesh. We can't overcome temptation by trying. 
If it was about trying, eh, no hope. And Jesus gave us the example of exactly how we're supposed to overcome every single temptation. There is no temptation. There is no temptation that exists in the whole wide universe that cannot be overcome by the word of God. We overcome the flesh by the word and not by anything else. We conquer the flesh with the word. Now, we don't have time to read it again, but just thinking about Matthew 4, okay, Jesus' answer to every part of that temptation was, anybody remember? The devil said, why don't you make some bread? You hungry, right? Make some bread. Jesus said, the word says, now nah, the word says, right? The word says, I don't, I, I don't just need bread, I need the word, right? The word says, oh, well, Jesus, throw yourself down. God will protect you. Jesus said, nah. The word says, the enemy told, told Jesus, I, I'll give you all of this if you just, just worship me. Come on. You can have it all. And Jesus said, nah. The word says, come on, say the word says. That needs to be the number one thing that comes out of our mouth to the devil. Not, I hate you, you suck, you're terrible, get out of my way. You nasty, foolish. Th- I mean, I've heard people say some stuff to the devil. Y'all don't even want to know. Oof. One time I, I, was, I was in a prayer meeting and someone asked the devil to leave. I pray, please, devil, leave. I've also heard in prayer people flinging insults at the devil, like he, that hurts his feelings or something. And, and I can't say I hadn't tried stuff, but I will tell you this, none of it works. None of it works, but I'll tell you one thing that does work. The word says, he, he can't resist the word. The word made him. He can't resist the word of God. Come on, say the word says, Come on, t- come on, you to say this. Now listen, devil. The word says. If Jesus didn't need anything else, neither do you and I. Come on, say it one more time. The word says. When he was offered food, Jesus replaced it with. The word says. The word, right? When he was offered protection, he said, nah. The word says when he was offered fame, he said, nah. The word says it was a replacement. The replacement for temptation has to be the word. Come on, say resist and replace. Because maybe you found out by now, but it's not enough just to say no to the devil. It's like he doesn't understand no. But I'll tell you one thing he does understand. The word says resist and replace. Yes, we resist. But it's not enough just to resist the devil. 
It's not enough just to say no to temptation. Because that doesn't get it to go away. Temptation has to be both resisted and replaced with something. Does anybody remember the little story Jesus told about this one guy that got free from the devil? He said that, he, that there was this guy and you know, he got free from the devil, right? And the devil took off and he went out in the desert and all of a sudden the devil came back and he found his house. Anybody remember? Clear and empty. No replacement. The devil had been resisted. He'd been, he'd been taken out. But when he came back, there was no replacement. So what did he do? He came right on back in with seven more. I don't know about you, but I don't want a temptation to go from one to seven. I mean, one's enough. Resist and replace. Temptation must be resisted and replaced. Now, let's get a, a, a clearer picture of this. The, the best way I know how to get a clearer picture of all of this is to remember who Jesus really is. And with that, we go to John chapter 1. And if you remember what it says in John chapter 1, 1, it says that the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so God and His Word are, are one, Okay. We know that this is referring to Jesus. And let's go to verse 14. And it says something so incredibly powerful. It says, the word was made flesh. Which literally means that the word of God put on flesh or skin. Come on, say that's Jesus. There's your Christology, right? That's Jesus right there, okay? Jesus is the word of God with skin on. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. That's who he is. He is God, the word. It says he put on flesh or was made flesh. And then it says he dwelt among us and we have beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Come on, say the word made flesh. Now, if you could grab a hold of what I'm about to say, this could truly set your life on a different course today. Ready? The Word made flesh is more than just Jesus' identity. The Word made flesh was Jesus' lifestyle. The Word made flesh is more than just Jesus' identity. The Word made flesh was Jesus' lifestyle. He lived his whole life making the Word flesh or fleshing out the Word. We flesh out the flesh, but we're called to flesh out the Word. What does it mean to flesh something out? Put it into practice. Live it out. Make it happen. And we know Jesus is the word, but his entire life, his every step, his every action, his every attitude, his every word, his every behavior was the word becoming flesh in the world. And that is what you and I are called to do. That's how we're called to live our life, to make the word flesh. 
Now, Jesus knew he was the word. So he lived to make the word flesh. Yeah? Our identity will dictate our lifestyle. Who we think we are will determine how we live. Lord have mercy. I'm just going to like let that simmer for a second. And move on because that could be another whole entire message, right? Come on, say my identity determines my lifestyle. This is the gist of it. Jesus knew who he was, so the enemy's tricks didn't work on him. The main thing the enemy's trying to do is to trick you into being someone God didn't make you to be. So if I, think, if, if I don't think properly about myself, I won't do properly. When I see myself in the right light, I'll be able to live right. Identity will lead to lifestyle. And Jesus knew who he was. So the devil came with his tricks. This didn't work. And that's how he wants us to be. That's how God wants you to be. The enemy's not going to come. The enemy's not going to stop coming with his tricks. But there is a way for them not to work. There is a way for you to not be overcome, to not be trapped by the enemy. Jesus knew who he was. If you really knew how much God loves you, if you really knew who you are to God, the enemy's tricks wouldn't work on you either. Is it okay if we get a little practical today? How about super practical? Because temptation, I think a lot of times we look at temptation as this big, you know, giant monster. And it is, temptation is very vast and diverse. <laughs> but really, you could boil it down to kind of three categories. Okay? Come on, say three Ps. I call it, I like to call it the three Ps. So today... To finish up the three T's, we're going to do the three P's. Ready for the three P's of temptation? Here's your nuggets. 1 John 2.15. Y'all better be ready for this. We ready? I see you looking at it. I know you're looking at it on the screen already. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father where? In you. Doesn't mean the Father doesn't love you. Look at me. Doesn't mean the Father doesn't love you means that his love isn't in you. He does love you. He loves people that hate him. 
But him loving me, his love for me, doesn't mean his love is necessarily in me. Let's go back to the top of that verse again. Don't love the world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. All right, here comes the three Ps. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Number one. Well, let me give you the three Ps, all right? These are the three Ps from 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Pleasure, pretties, and pride. Number one, pleasure. It says physical pleasure, okay? We're not talking about good, godly pleasure. But the pleasure that the world offers... now. That in itself is a vast topic, but I'm going to give you two that I know are just so prevalent. The first one, the first thing the enemy throws at most of us is to get us to get into the wrong kind of sexual pleasure. Number one, sexual pleasure. The devil will do anything to get you to take your sexuality outside of God's design. Did you know God made your sexuality? We're made in his image. He, he meant to make us with sexuality. Hello? That's why he made Adam and Eve. He made male and female in his image, right? He made us that way. And he created our sexuality with a specific design. There is one and only place that God created our sexuality to be expressed. And that is within the design of marriage. Which, by the way, only God gets to define what he created. Look at me. Only God has the privilege of defining what he made. And God created, he's the one who made marriage, which is a commitment between a man and a woman. (laughs) Just in case the enemy has convinced you otherwise. Because he'll do anything. Look, there's nothing new about sexual sin. It's been there from the beginning. I mean, go back to Genesis. It's all the way back there. And people think, oh, we're just way more perverted than we used to be. (laughs) Go back and read the Bible. There's nothing new under the sun, y'all. I mean, people have invented new ways, but it's always been there. The devil has always been trying to trick people to remove sexuality from marriage. And listen, if he can convince you, if he can trick you to take sex outside of marriage, he will break you. He will damage you. Now look, I know many have been damaged by sexual sin. And the great thing is, God is all about healing damaged goods. It doesn't matter how damaged you've been. He can heal it. He can put you back together. 
He can restore your sexuality. But I'll tell you this. If you just believe the devil's tricks about sexuality, he's got you. He's got you. And the word is very clear that those that indulge in sexual sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's, 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 not, it's not okay to be a Christian and indulge in sexual sin. If we remove sexuality from marriage, we break the design of our life. Let me say it like this. Look, I know that's, in our culture, that's, mm. let me say it from a little more positive angle, okay? Sexual safety is only found within God's design. Safety for your sexuality is only found within God's design because he created that sexuality. So when we go about it his way, there's safety. When we go about, when we go about it in a different way, there's danger. <laughs> destruction, pain and destruction. First Corinthians 6, jot it down, you can look at it later. It, it, it actually gives us further instruction not to only resist this type of temptation, but 1 Corinthians 6 tells us to do what from sexual sin? Run! <laughs> Flee. Get out of there. Stay far away. You know why? 1 Corinthians 6 says why. This one type of sin harms our body and the body of Christ more than any other type of sin. That's what it says. And I've heard people say, you know, sexual sin is just like any other sin. Well, yes, uh, all, all sin has consequences, but not all sin has the same consequences. The Bible says this type of sin, sexual sin, hurts you and the body of Christ more than any other type of sin. And I've seen it one too many dozens of times. When the enemy can trick us to take sex outside of marriage, he's got us. And he will harm you and he will harm the people around you. Y'all okay? Because the, the next one is not necessarily that fun either. Sexual pleasure, not God's way. How about substance? And y'all know what I'm talking about. Alcohol, drugs, any substance that could harm your body or your testimony. If it can harm your body, God doesn't want you to put it in there. So quiet. You know why? You know why we get so quiet? It's way too much tolerance in the church for this nonsense way too much. I don't know what this new wave of it's okay to smoke pot and go out drinking as a Christian, but that is nonsense. That's a lie. And it will mess you up. In the long run, you, you will regret it. 
And you will stand before God and give an account. So will I. That's why I put none of that nonsense in my body. Thank you. I think the question we need to ask ourselves is not only does it hurt, hurt me, but does it hurt people around me? And if I put this in my body, does it cause people around me to question my commitment to Christ? Because I'm just going to get super raw and real with this, okay? I have people ask me all the time, is it sin for Christians to drink alcohol? You know, that's between you and the Lord and your convictions, but I'll tell you this. You go out drinking and people see you out drinking, people will question your commitment to Jesus. That's all there is to it. That is our culture. That is the culture we live in. People who drink in public, alcohol in public, with their testimony will be questioned. How about we move on? I want you to ask yourself, one, does it harm my body? Two, could it harm my testimony? It's not worth it if it could. But I'm not drunk. Only you know. Said I did not come to church for this today. I'm just trying to help y'all. So people have helped me with this through the, I'm just trying to help people. Okay. I mean, who wants an unquestionable testimony for Jesus? Who wants a life that people, everyone around you would look at you and go, I'm sure they're the real deal. They're safe to follow. They're safe to imitate. Watch out. Watch out how you handle your sexuality. And watch out with the substances you put in your body. Pleasure. There is immense pleasure in the love of God and in the Holy Spirit in our lives and in fellowship in the family of God and in the body of Christ. You don't need, you don't need, you don't need that other pleasure. Number two, physical pleasure. Then he says a craving for everything we see. I just call them pretties because it had to be a P. Because, I mean, really, that is the, the, you know, the shiny things. Stuff. Come on, say stuff. That's right. Say it country. Stuff. There's nothing wrong with stuff, y'all. There's nothing wrong with possessions. The question is, do I possess stuff or does stuff possess me? This is where we get to the love of money. Because it doesn't just mean dollar bills. Dollar bills are fine. But do you have them or do they have you? Do you live to make money or do you live for Jesus and use your money? Let me tell you a secret. 
in the kingdom. When Jesus returns and we're all resurrected, the new heavens and the new earth, let me tell you this. How you spent your money will matter. People say, you can't take nothing with you. You can't take anything with you as in the money that you, it's not like, oh, let me make a bunch of money so I can bring it with me when I die. No, no, no. But what you did during your life with your stuff and your money will definitely have an impact on the rewards you will receive in the kingdom. That's another whole message too. You better read your Bible. But Jesus said it so clearly. You can't live for God and live to make money. You can't. There's no such thing as loving God and loving money. Now, again, not, not bad to have money, but to serve money. You probably heard this, but do you serve money or does your money serve you? Our money's supposed to serve us. We shouldn't live our lives as servants and slaves to money. We should live our lives as servants of God. And we should use our money and our stuff to serve others. Jesus said that. <laughs> if we live our lives to get all the pretties, it's not going to end up pretty. Because what happens, if I live my life to get everything I see, everything I want, I'll be consumed by it. And guess what's going to happen to my eyes? Because it's all about what we see, right? I mean, you see it, you want it, right? I'm like that too, hello? <laughs> Yesterday, the kids were talking about what kind of truck I would like to have. So I told them, I would like a Toyota Tacoma. Four doors, baby blue, or... Okay? And then we saw one at Publix parking lot, and I wanted it. <laughs> and my mind started going, oh, I could do this. I could trade this one and do that one. And, and at the same time, at the same time, I knew that would get me way deeper into debt, which is not what I need to do. But I want it. And when I saw it, I really wanted it. I mean, it was like crazy. We just talked about it, and my dream truck passed right in front of me as we're talking. <laughs> Maybe one day the Lord will give me one, but I can't get everything I see. Because, l l listen, this is, this is so easy to get caught up in. If I live to get everything I see, my eyes will drift away from where they're supposed to be fixed. My eyes, we learned this last Sunday, my eyes are supposed to be fixed on Jesus, living for him, serving him, doing what pleases him. My eyes shouldn't be focused on getting everything that I see. And if your eyes drift away from him, temptation will eat you alive. Pleasure, pretties, and the third P, whoo, could do a whole series on pride. But let me just give you some words from here. The first one, 
It says pride in our achievements and possessions, right? Let, let, me, let me give you one that's a big deal right now. That's status, right? I mean, I find it very interesting that on social media you have a status, right? I'm not against social media. I have Instagram, Facebook, not TikTok. Um, it's fine. I did have MySpace. It's probably still out there somewhere in space, but on some satellite. I know Big Brother's hearing me. I'm just playing with y'all. All of y'all's phone. Okay. All right. But I don't know if you've noticed this, and I don't mean just social media status, but status in general, really what it is, is, is it's just a projection of yourself. And a lot of times it's not even an accurate projection of ourselves. The status is all about projection. It's all about image, right? And the only image we ought to be concerned about is the image of God. Am I projecting the image of God? If I'm living my life to project some sort of status... Well, one, most of the time, it's not even the real me. And if I'm living to project a certain status, then I won't be projecting the image of God. The funny thing is Christians try to project an, uh, an image of themselves as more than they really are. I mean, how many, Lord have mercy, I can't. All the men of God out there on Facebook, I'm like, <laughs> men of God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you've never even seen a man of God much less are one uh -oh. woman of God she what, what is the phrase she she knows him therefore she y'all know what I'm talking about the, the, those, 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 those phrases that, that they're not bad that they're, they're just not real for most of the people that say them okay okay I don't know what I'm talking about all right Look at me. Just be the real you. Forget your status. Let God take care of your status. Just let God make you who you are. Let his image be projected. Let love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The image of Christ, let that be projected through you. You don't, you, you can't, and listen, you can't falsely project that. You either got it or you don't. <laughs> can't fake it till you make it. Just be you and let him change you more and more to be like him. Look at me. Stop trying to be somebody. And just be somebody. You already are somebody. You already are somebody. When I tell you the conclusion of this in just about two minutes, you're going to realize who you really are. You already are. Come on, come on just knock your neighbor and say, you already are somebody. <laughs> Status. 
And status really is all about this second one, which is recognition. We all want to be recognized. Everybody wants to be recognized. But you know what that leads to? Living for the praises of people instead of the praises of God. You can be recognized by all of the world and not be recognized in heaven. And I don't know about you, but I don't care about being recognized by anybody, but I want to be recognized in heaven. I don't care if anybody knows my name or the name of my church. I don't care. And th- I do want it, them to know my name in heaven, though. Live to be recognized by him and not by anybody else. And finally, pride is about power. And normally it's power over people, but Jesus said not in our case. We don't live to have power over people. We have power to serve people. Pride seeks power over people. But the godly way is to have power to serve people. Now, I know, again, that was nuggets. It's way bigger. And that was some kind of pretty big, meaty, all white meat, chicken breast nuggets. <laughs> that was, wait, I, I hear this all the time. What is it? Flats only? Or that was flats only, okay? Right? There's, there's a lot. There's a lot more to temptation. It's all in your Bible. Pleasure, pretties, and pride kind of break it down for us, if you can remember those. But it's not about remembering them. It's about how do I overcome it? If we could get 1 John 2 back up on the screen, I want to read that first, first sentence to you again. That first, that first verse, do not love the world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father. Give me just a minute. We'll be done. The antidote, the cure to all of this. Pleasure, pretties. Pride, every, every form, any temptation could ever take. The antidote, the cure, the ability to overcome is this. The love of the Father in me. In me. Say so if, if this, if I live my life for those cravings, for those temptations, right, I love the world, and the love of the Father won't be in me. What's the inverse of that? If the love of the Father is in me, I will not live my life that way. I'll live my life to overcome every temptation. What made Jesus invincible? What made Jesus so strong to withstand every temptation, every, every attack, everything the enemy brought against him? <laughs> he wasn't only loved by the Father, but boy, he loved his Father. 
He loved his father. The love of the father was in Jesus. He knew the father. He knew his love for him and he loved him back. And Jesus knew who he was in the father's love. He, he, he said so many things like, I came from the Father and returned to the Father. I only do what I see my Father doing, right? He loved the Father because he knew his Father's love. So how do you overcome? How do I overcome? When we're filled, look at me. When you're filled with the Father's love for you, your identity is settled. There's no question who you are. You are a beloved child of God. But if the love of God is only a theory to you, you won't know that. You'll try to be somebody. But if you've experienced the love of the Father in you, you know who you are. And when you know the love of the Father that way, temptation loses its grip. Temptation doesn't stop coming, it just gets weaker. And why does temptation get weaker and weaker? Because temptation is all about a craving. And if I know the love of God, my craving changes. I start to crave his love, to crave his pleasure, to crave his attention. I mean, we've got it already, but to seek it, to crave his presence. Did you know you can feel his love and his presence? This is not a theory. You can feel his love. In just a second, I'll tell you how. When I'm filled with the love of the Father, guess what becomes my delight? The Word of God, which for every temptation becomes our answer. The Word says. The Word says. And because I love God, because I love the Father, because His love is in me, His Word is my delight, which means I'm going to be ready with the Word. If the love of God isn't in me, I'm not going to even be hungry to read his word. But if the love of God is in me, I'm not going to read the Bible as a chore. I'm going to read the Bible as a delight. If his word is my delight, the only way for his word to be my delight is to have his love in me. And if his word is my delight and I'm always getting his word in me, the enemy's going to come with temptation and boom, out of my mouth is going to come. The word says... But you need the love of the Father to even want to know the Word. If I'm filled with the love of the Father, pleasure, pretties, and pride get displaced and replaced. I won't need that kind of wrong pleasure. I won't need, I won't have to go after everything I see. I won't live my life to project anything in pride or to try to be anybody. 
that gets all replaced with his love. When I'm filled with the love of the Father, (laughs) I can walk in the authority that Jesus recovered. And with that authority, overcome. Look at me. You can overcome. Some of you have believed the lie that that's just too hard. This this is just, and people even say, that's just my temptation. That's just my weakness. That's just my, no, you can overcome. Perhaps the love of God isn't bigger than that. I promise you, his love can squash that thing. In this room sit many who've had their addictions broken and replaced by the love of God. In this room sit many who were absolutely broken and maybe thought of themselves as permanently damaged in their sexuality, who are totally healed because they've been filled with the love of God. In this room sit people who live their lives to make money and to get everything pretty, and now they live their life to serve others, and they're not, they're not living for stuff. They're using their stuff to serve God. In this room sit many who maybe once sought power, but now they're using their power to serve other people. There's nothing, there's no temptation, there's no sin so big that it cannot be resisted, displaced, and replaced by the love of God. But you've got to have His love in you. If you love Him, you will wield His word. And with His word, which is a sword, the enemy doesn't stand a chance against you. That's, what, that, that, that's who we are, y'all. That's who you are if the love of the Father is in you. The love of God, the Word of God. Pardon the repetition, but I think we're going to take this with us today. The love of God, the Word of God, the Word of God, the love of God are invincible weapons. If I live filled with his love and I wield his word, I can be unbeatable. When I look at my life and I see the times I have given into temptation, I realize I did not. One, I wasn't in the love of God at the moment. Or two, I wasn't using the word of God properly. Because I could have and so can you. this love and I want to ask for the next three minutes if we could avoid going in and out okay because this could be a very important crucial moment in someone's life this love is available to us not as an idea this is not a religion this is not a theory You can receive the love of God poured into your heart because Jesus has returned to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit to us. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts and that we can experience how wide, how high, how deep, how big, how strong is the Father's love for us. The Holy Spirit will make the the love of God real in your heart. He'll make it more than just an idea you have up here. You think God loves you. And he will make it to where you know that God loves you.
that you're his child. Thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here right now. You're pouring the Father's love. If you wouldn't mind, just close your eyes for a moment. And I I just ask you, Holy Spirit, right now, I thank you that you are here. I thank you, Jesus, for the promise that you wouldn't abandon us as orphans, but that you would come to us. You said you would come to us by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will be with us and in us. And your Holy Spirit joins with our spirit and tells us we're children of God. The Holy Spirit sheds abroad the love of the Father in our hearts. The Holy Spirit seals our hearts with the love of the Father. Holy Spirit, today, even now, I pray, pour out the love of God in every heart for those who've never experienced the love of the Father in a real way. I pray even now, even right now as they sit in their seat, oh Lord, reveal your love in every heart. I pray that every one of our hearts would be refreshed and renewed with your love today, Father. Just one moment with every eye closed. I want to ask this question. And after this question, after this call, I'm going to make a second call, okay? But first of all, it's so important. You've got to know the love of God for yourself. Jesus overcame temptation, and he can set you free too. But you've got to put your faith in the Son of God. When you put your faith, when we put our faith in the Son of God, the Bible says we also become sons of God. We become children of God. And as his children, the Spirit pours his love into our hearts. Only as his children can we experience his love as Father. If you are not sure today if you're a child of God, if you've never surrendered your life to to him, if you've never put your faith in the Son of God, you can do that right now. Have you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Have you surrendered your life to him? Do you know that you know that you know you're a child of God? If you doubt it even a bit, I don't care if this is a first time decision or you've made this prayer or whatever before, but you're just not sure today or you've been backslidden and you need to come home. But I believe there are people today that you're not sure if you're truly a child of God. The way to know is to surrender your life totally to Him. He'll fill your heart with His love and He'll make you know. He'll make you born again. Does anybody need to make the decision today to surrender your life to Jesus? Come on, if that's anybody, would you just lift your hand to me and say, that's me. I need to give my life to Jesus. First time or I've been backslidden and I want to come home. Is that anybody? Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through his word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.